Welcome to JP Morgan TV. I'm Bruce Kasman, and with me this week is Mike Hansen. Hey, Mike. Hey, Bruce. I guess um, we have to get into that complicated story that is China reopening here as a starting point, and then we could obviously from there get to the more uh, comfortable space when we talk about what central banks are going to be telling us next week. But let's let's start off with China. We certainly got. Um, uh, news that there's uh, more action happening on the reopening front uh, from policymakers this week in China. I guess the question is, with a lot of um, people starting to talk about a reopening bounce, how comfortable do we feel about the the possibility that this policy shift actually translates into uh, a sustained period of stronger growth in China? I think the short answer is not very confident at all. <laughs> <laughs> I think the okay. the Let's profile the for the part China, of that now. There you go. The profile for the for the China outlook over the next several quarters, I think, is is pretty complicated because you know the reopening dynamics ought to give you some at least near term bounce in in activity, but it's against a backdrop where there's a, a lot of structural factors, structural I guess headwinds, you think of it that way, that are that China's facing that are different from reopenings in other countries, I and mean, they have fairly low vaccination rates and there's a general expectation that the overall level of immunity is quite low as well. So whenever you get a reopening, you're likely to get another wave as well. Uh, and I know the China team is pretty concerned that that's going to uh, lead to a very weak growth picture on a forward basis. Yeah, I mean, we probably should just start with the observation that we are turning into the new year pretty, pretty weak. And there's... Uh, some pretty clear evidence that it's both COVID as well as the drags coming uh, from what has already been a pretty damaging housing sector correction uh, in China. So we've got that. I think you know the point you're making is 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 quite important here, which is you can get something of a bounce if you relax, and you are relaxing restrictions on testing. Um, there's definitely some hope that they may actually relax uh, cross-regional uh, travel as we move towards the Lunar New Year. That will get you some some lift. There's actually some data from subway usage in China, which has moved up in the last week or so. But the problem is you're vulnerable. You've got uh, low immunity. Uh, you don't have the full vaccination protection. And what we've seen in the past in countries that open in that space is you do get the the, the initial lift followed by a, a stepping back. And, and the stepping back can happen even if policymakers don't um, roll back the uh, uh, the opening. It can happen by people getting sick and being out of work. It can happen with them turning more cautious. And uh, those are all things that are not only um, reasonable, uh, but are particularly reasonable in a place like China, where I don't think people have a lot of confidence in the capacity of the healthcare system to really uh, protect them if they if they do get sick. So, um, I guess the um, the the question I think comes down to one of how should we view the risk profile of China from the point of view of the first half growth forecast. Uh, we do have actually built into the first half a first quarter where you get a pretty decent bounce, um, and then it rolls back off. Um, I guess, how what's a range we can think about for growth for China in the first half of the year? 
Um, and does it matter for what the U.S., what Europe, and, and what everybody else does? That's not an easy question, I know, Mike. So. No, yeah, I mean, the, you know, our forecast is, is close to 6% annualized rate of growth in the first quarter. And I think that's very dependent on the, the timing and the magnitude of whatever kind of bounce we get as these restrictions start to be eased. And, uh, you know, it's worth pointing out that our, our China team doesn't think that the full reopening process is going to happen right away. It's going to be a, a gradual process and potentially even a bumpy process. Um, and not in our forecast is the possibility that in addition to households becoming very concerned about illness and therefore, you know, slowing down on their on their shopping and travel, there's also the possibility that that local governments might still nonetheless put restrictions in place as they face real constraints on their on their, you know, healthcare systems. So it really does come down to a lot of things that are difficult to measure in terms of, you know, how those two obviously offsetting factors, you know, with the relative size of those things and, and when they actually hit, right? Um, the the spillover channel, the the important one for the global growth, I would argue, is probably more on the supply chain side, although obviously there's an important demand factor as well, right? But the yeah. you know, we've certainly seen in the last year or more is that the supply chain disruptions can become uh, a meaningful not only drag on activity, industrial activity, but also a, a you know potential boost to inflation, which is you know the last thing we need right now, given that things are finally moving in the right direction. And I think there is interesting questions there. The trade report we got this week for the month of November did seem to show some particularly weak uh, tech and um, iPhone type production drags on the export sector, which probably has something to do with supply side problems. Um, and I think there is a, a concern that some further problems can be uh, manifested there. But the other side of this, of course, is the the opening. Um, if you can actually get some more sustained opening, it helps you there. I think one of the risks, of course, and you can see a little bit of a flavor of that in the rise in industrial metals prices we've seen in the last few weeks, people are starting to bet on, on China reopening. Not only that, by the way, I think it's also the um, the supports the government has started to deliver for the housing market with the idea that there might be a bottom in the housing market that comes perhaps earlier. Uh, what's interesting is that as metal prices went up this week, we actually, or the last few weeks, uh, we've actually seen crude oil prices continue to come down, uh, which is um, not necessarily a China story, but it's happening against the backdrop of the, the China story being processed in markets. And I think it's hard not to look at that as a positive, although if you thought the signal from that was that the U.S. or the world was entering recession, you'd take a different view on it. But absent that particular interpretation, a fall in energy prices, which our commodity folks do tend to think is coming because there was um, a risk that Russian oil would come off the market, which isn't happening. And there was a risk that OPEC might cut back on production as as prices were starting to fall. And that hasn't happened either. Uh, to the extent that that's the story, it's actually something of a, a positive for the disinflation, uh, for the household purchasing power restoration, which are all parts of our our forecast. And maybe that's a segue into the central bank story, which is, um, what's going to happen? We've got the Fed, the Bank of England, the ECB meeting next week. And we have, um, you know, this idea that moderation is coming. But what is it? What actually are we expecting? And what is the signaling we're expecting from these central banks? 
Yeah, well, 50 is the new 50, I guess, right, for central banks. So we're, let, me, uh, let, me, let me pause on that. 50 is the new 50? <laughs> there you go. We, uh, we're done with the 75s for now. So there is this step down. And uh, you know, I think the markets have taken a, a particularly strong signal from that. Um, but it's against a backdrop where you, know, you still are seeing a relatively slow decline in, in inflation at this stage. Um, and certainly in the services side, it's still been very slow to come down. I think goods have come down more significantly. And then on top of that, you're still seeing fairly tight labor markets. So to the extent that labor markets are cooling, they're cooling pretty gradually at this stage, right? Um, so that's, I think, keeping the pressure on central banks, particularly the, the, you know, the major central banks that are meeting next week, which would be the Fed, the ECB, and the Bank of England, uh, to keep hiking not only 50 basis points next week, but to be hiking into at least early next year. Uh, and to hike in a way that gives themselves the option to potentially do more if they have to. Uh, conversely, it's very asymmetric, I think. It's, it doesn't seem like any central bank is really thinking seriously about being done in December, let alone cutting rates fairly soon, right? It really is a question of do they go on a long period of, of hold to kind of make sure they really cement the idea that inflation is on a, a track towards uh, their longer run targets and you don't get this kind of you know, adverse feedback into higher wage and price uh, expectations. Um, so, you know, they're, they're trying to avoid that situation. Um, so at the let's, very be, minimum, let's be specific here. So we're talking in a general sense here, uh, the fed. Um, so we do have an inflation report coming out before the fed, which could have some bearing on what they do, but let's assume as I think is reasonable is that most of what the committee is going to decide is pretty much set in motion before we get that number. Um, so what is it specifically that you think is going to be the important message coming from the Fed? Well, you get an updated summary of economic projections. So the focus is clearly going to be first and foremost on the dot plot, right? Uh, and there, you know, it's it's quite likely that the the, the dots will move up at least somewhat. Uh, the House view is about 25 basis points. So you'll see that um, median dot between 475 and 5. Um, but there's certainly a chance, particularly given that the, the labor market report uh, last week was quite strong, particularly on the wage front. That's been something that Powell has flagged as a concern, that you could see that the median dot actually tick up a little more. It could go up to a little, you know, five to five and a quarter, right? So just above five. Um, we'll likely see that the dots in outer years shift up a little bit as well, right? And that's probably against the backdrop. Well, the dots, I think, going to go up as much as the 23 dots. So they'll carry that through to what it, what the forecast will be for that for the next years. And I think it's important to know that, that you know, Mike and team are pretty uh, close to a 50. They've got 25, but they think the risks that the Fed could push up another another 25 is pretty, is pretty high here. So we'll see what we get there. Um, and I of think, course, Powell's, yeah, yeah, I mean, Powell's press conference comments will also be very important, right? He needs to kind of set a tone that perhaps takes the narrative back a little bit about this idea that the Fed is still more concerned about doing too little than doing too much, right? I think the market kind of heard the opposite last week, and I'm not sure that's what Powell meant to say. So, well, I think the to me the the message that needs a little bit of calibration is the one that we're close to an end, which I think was a was hinted at in that uh, speech. And I think he's going to, as you say, keep more optionality in his um, his commentary here, that there's a desire to find a place and rest. And obviously, there's a clear sense that the Fed's not going to be easing unless, of course, the economy is in recession. But also, I think the idea that they don't really 
have a confident view yet about where the top of this thing is, I think has to come across a little bit more clearly. Um, but let's go to Europe, where I think certainly the ECB is in a little bit different position. They're sitting at this meeting, coming in with a one and a half percent policy uh, rate. Uh, they've got obviously more concern about near-term growth, uh, but they also have much higher um, headline inflation at this point. So what what is the shakeout for the ECB? Yeah, again, we're looking for 50 basis points, and that is in part due to the fact, as you say, that, that they're facing a... A less favorable economic, uh, you know, activity side of the of the equation, um, and at the same time, they they haven't really seen the same pickup in core inflation we've seen in the U.S. It really has been a headline story. I think there's a lot of hope or optimism or something that that headline inflation will come off pretty quickly, right? So, whereas for the Fed, I think that the move to 50 is more a reflection of the fact that you're, you know, comfortably in restrictive territory now. For the ECB, I think it's more this at least near term concern about growth. There is some, there has been some discussion amongst members of the governing council, particularly the more hawkish members, to go 75. But it sounds like that's not gotten a lot of traction at this point. Who knows if early next week we'll get a last-minute indication that it's that it's otherwise, right, a sources story. But, uh, you know, given what we've heard at this point, it feels like 50 is probably where they're going to go at this meeting. But, but I, think, I think that hawkish going. tilt is more relevant for what happens at coming meetings in the sense that, you know, I think not only is the ECB not done, but the the pace can continue at a 50 base point clip here for a little while in a, in a manner that's not really built into our forecast. We have the ECB at this point pausing pausing at about two and a half percent. Let's end with our favorite central bank, the Bank of England. What's the story there? <laughs> well, despite uh, spending a lot of effort the last meeting to push back against market expectations for higher rates, they're going to have to deliver higher rates. <laughs> so... I mean, basically, they are also facing a challenge where it looks like, and they've even been pretty explicit in saying a recession is coming, if not already here. But uh, the data are not supporting the idea that they can step down. And both inflation and labor market data still have, on average, been surprisingly upside for them. So they're kind of caught between a rock and a hard place and will likely have to do more beyond this meeting as well. Yeah. Okay. So I think we'll end it there. Uh, we do have softness forecasted in U.S. data for next week. We got a soft retail sales report, car sales come off, but we're also looking for the control to be uh, roughly uh, flat. And we have manufacturing output down partly again with the um, uh, autos uh, taking something off there. So um, with that, uh, thanks everybody and hope that we can continue this conversation next week on JP Morgan TV.